to Galatians chapter 1. We're starting a series called God Space today in the book of Galatians. Appreciate those that are online with us today too. I thought about getting up and making a joke about uh, how it's raining outside, but the sun is shining in here because uh, of Jesus, but I didn't think that was really funny, so I'm not going to do that. But, uh, okay, maybe it was a little funny. Hey, Galatians 1, if you'll stand with me in honor of reading God's Word, we're going to read the first five verses of this book. Galatians chapter 1, God's Word says this, Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God, the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me, to the churches of Galatia, grace to you and peace from God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age, according to the will of our God and Father, to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your word today. Lord, I pray that as we walk through these first five uh, verses in Galatians, Lord, as we see, Lord, what, what you are speaking to us, Lord, through this powerful book of the Bible, that Jesus would be among us today, Father, that your spirit would speak to us clearly. God, would you give us ears we need to hear from you, hands and feet, God, to live out the truths that we encounter in your word today. And it's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray these things. Amen. You may be seated. So back in my younger days, I used to be really into something that was known as urban exploration. And I'm going to be honest with you, it's not as exciting as it sounds. When you say the words urban exploration, you might think a little bit that like I was Indiana Jones or something with my Indiana Jones hat and my whip running through exploring abandoned ruins someplace. And that's not exactly what we did. Basically, what we did in our high school and in our college years is we would explore abandoned towns. We went and explored abandoned uh, amusement parks. So I've actually broken into some amusement parks at night. Don't tell anybody. We would go and explore abandoned mines. We would go and explore all these abandoned things and just explore the ruins of what was left over from all of these different areas. I told you it's not very exciting, but we really enjoyed doing it. And so I've had the opportunity. I've stood in uh, abandoned jail cells where somebody was once imprisoned, and now that jail has not been in operation for several decades. I've stood on uh, tracks of roller coasters that were no longer operational. I've sat in the carts of Ferris wheels that hadn't been operational for decades. And you stand in each one of those spaces, and it's kind of cool to do it, and you stand there, you sit there, you're in one of those environments, it's been abandoned for several, several decades, and you kind of look around in that moment, and you're like, this is kind of neat. But then there's something that changes those moments. What changes in those moments is when you look at the history of those environments. When you find a picture online and you see the faces of men, women, and children that were actually at one point riding in that roller coaster car that you're now standing in, that they were there several decades ago. What changes is when you're standing in that jail cell and you find on your phone, you find the log of the inmates that probably once had been locked in that space in which you're now standing. When you find out the history behind those things, it changes the space that you're standing in and allows it to come to life. Let me say that for us one more time. When you understand the history, what you're looking at will come alive. And I want us to take that idea today because I think this is a helpful thought when we approach the scriptures, especially the book of Galatians. When you understand the history, what you're looking at will come alive. 
Over the next several weeks, we're going to be in the book of Galatians. We're going to be here a while. And what we could do is we could simply jump into this book, probably starting in verse 6, and we would understand and be able to glean so many various things from this book. But we would be missing a key element that helps us truly understand what Paul is writing to these churches, and that's the history behind the book of Galatians. I want us to understand this week, I want us to understand who Paul was writing to. I want us to understand what these churches in Galatia were actually going through. I think it's important for us today to understand the events that were leading up to Paul actually penning this letter. And I want us to understand today the background behind this book and why Paul takes the tone that he does when he's writing to these churches. You see, because if we understand the history behind this, it's actually going to come to life for us. If you want to turn in your Bible with me, turn over to the book of Acts We're going to spend some time there this morning. The book of Acts, if you didn't know, is the historical record of the early church written down by a doctor named Luke. In the book of Acts, we see in the first couple chapters, the the church go from just this handful of people and it explodes and starts spreading all over the world. But in the book of Acts, what we see here, and I'm going to show you this in a moment, we see the events surrounding the letter to the Galatians. Again, we could read this book as just a one-off, but if we do that, we're going to miss so much. If we start in the book of Acts, we're going to see the events that transpired and why Paul ultimately wrote this letter. And so I want us to answer a few questions today. If you're a note taker, here's what we're going to answer. Who is Paul? We're going to find out who were the Galatians, and then we're going to see why was this letter written. Who's Paul? Who were the Galatians? And why was this letter written? So let's answer our first question. Who is Paul? Paul. Maybe you're familiar with this, maybe not. This will serve as a refresher for you. Look at verse 1 in Galatians 1 with me again. Paul, there's his introduction. This is the introduction to his letter to these churches. Paul, an apostle, not from men or by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. So our first question, who is Paul? Well, the first place we see Paul mentioned in the entirety of Scripture is in the book of Acts. As the church is taking off in the beginning of the book of Acts, growing after the events of Pentecost, if you're unfamiliar with what Pentecost is, in the first two chapters of Acts, we see where the promised Spirit of God has come down on followers of Jesus, indwells them for the very first time. It's a pretty miraculous thing that's occurring there. That was Pentecost. And now in Acts chapter 8, so seven chapters after Pentecost, for the very first time, we are introduced to Paul. But his introduction isn't one of the greatest. Acts chapter 8, verse 3, it'll be on the screen. It says, Saul was ravaging the church. He would enter house after house, dragging off men and women, and he would put them in prison. So this was before Paul's conversion. You'll notice that here in Acts chapter 8, verse 3, he's referred to as Saul. Don't get too hung up on that. Saul was simply his Hebrew name before it was changed to Paul. It's interesting. This is some free Bible trivia for you. Um, Later in Acts chapter 13, verse 9 is the first time we see Saul referred to as Paul. What's interesting is the name Paul actually means little or least. You see, Paul understood once he encountered Jesus the position that he now now held in relation to God. He was no longer Saul, the church ravager. He was Paul, the little and least follower of Jesus. So if you're ever doing Bible trivia somewhere and this comes up, let me know. You can thank me later. But in Acts chapter 8, we're introduced to to Paul. 
Now, Paul says as he's ravaging the church, Paul was a dogmatic, he was a zealous Jew who really thought he was doing God a favor. You see, you had this new group of people known as followers of the way. They weren't Christians yet, weren't called that. But these followers of the way that were spreading this this so-called gospel, following this so-called Jesus, Paul was trying to defend Jewish religion and Jewish tradition. And so he thought it was his duty to go find these Christians, to arrest these Christians and put them in jail because they were followers of the way. You see, Paul was essentially hunting Christians because they were following Jesus. Yet that all changes one chapter later, Acts chapter 9, if you want to turn there. The Bible says after Acts chapter 8 that in Acts chapter 9, Paul and his crew were heading to a place called Damascus. They had orders from the Jewish high priest to continue to gather and to imprison Christians, these followers of the way. But Jesus intersects Paul's journey in Acts chapter 9, verse 2. Hey, here's a little side note that's important for us today. Those watching online, listen to this too. You don't accidentally follow Jesus. We we actually see here in Paul's story what happens. Paul was journeying to Damascus and Jesus intersected his path. See, Paul could take us back to a moment in time where he encountered Jesus and everything changed for him. Sometimes in Christian circles, we'll hear this. When did you start following Jesus? Well, I just always have. I can't remember exactly when. I think it's important, and we see this in Paul's example. Paul was not a follower of Christ. Jesus showed up, and now he was. He could take you back to the moment when he met Jesus. But look what happens in Acts chapter 9 and verse 2. You see, Paul's journeying to Damascus, orders of the high priest. All of a sudden, in verse 3 of Acts chapter 9, it says, A light surrounded Paul. He was met by Jesus, and then what happens? He was commissioned by Christ to go to Damascus, where he would then get his new assignment as a Jesus follower. Now, you're going to notice today, we are covering a ton of biblical history in a short amount of time. We're going to be jumping all through the book of Acts. And so I'm not going to go a ton in depth on this. We're just trying to get the background and history of Galatians. I encourage you to read this on your own. So in Acts chapter 9, verse 15, Paul continues to Damascus. He arrives in Damascus and he meets a guy by the name of Ananias. God had already talked to this man named Ananias. Ananias was a follower of Jesus. And God tells him, a man named Paul is going to come here to meet you. And I need to let you to let Paul know that I have a new assignment for him. His assignment is, is that he is going to be the apostle to the, Jew, to the Gentiles. You see, up to this point, the gospel was spreading rapidly among the Jewish people. But Paul was going to be commissioned to go to those who were not Jewish. That was the Gentiles. He would be the apostle to the Gentile people. Here's a side note. What's an apostle? We probably hear that term before. Maybe you've heard people talk about the 12 apostles. Here's more Bible trivia. I'm telling you when this comes up, you're going to be 10 years from now, you're going to be at Bible trivia, Dave and Buster's, and they're going, who's an apostle? And you're going to be like, oh my gosh, I'm so thankful Pastor Aaron talked about this 10 years ago. What's an apostle? An apostle is one who is sent on mission. They're a sent one sent on mission. This is so important because apostles so thrown around in our church culture very flippantly, and it doesn't mean what we want to make it mean sometimes. Apostle is one who was sent on mission. To be an apostle, the Bible says in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, to actually be one of the apostles, like we're talking big letter A, so to be the apostle James, to be the apostle Peter, to be the apostle John, The qualification was that you had to have walked physically with Jesus, which those guys did. The qualification was that you had to see the bodily resurrection of Jesus. So they saw Jesus come back from the grave. 
And then the third qualification was you had to be personally sent by Jesus on mission. So you had to walk with Jesus physically, see the physical resurrection of Jesus, and then be sent by Jesus on mission. That's what it meant to be an apostle. That's why there was 12 of them. Those 12 were commissioned by Christ on mission. What's interesting is Paul didn't necessarily fit those qualifications. He didn't fit the traditional qualifications of apostle. But the early church ended up affirming him as one of the apostles, the apostle sent to the Gentiles. The others were sent to the Jews. Paul was sent to the Gentiles. Now, I realize that was a lot, but that's Paul's story. That's who Paul is. That's what's going on here. That's this author that we're introduced to in verse 1. When Paul gives the greeting to the Gentiles, he says, it's me, Paul, the apostle who was sent to the Gentile people. Now, point number two, who were the Galatians? Again, if we're going to understand this letter more fully, we don't only need to know who Paul is. We need to understand who the Galatians are and who Paul is writing to. Look at verse 2 of Galatians 1. Paul tells us here, he says, and all the brothers who are with me, and he says, who am I writing to? To the churches of Galatia. See, we just ended just a second ago in Acts chapter 9. Fast forward two chapters to Acts chapter 19. Some time has passed. And the Bible says in Acts chapter 11, verse 19, that a new church has been formed after people uh, came to faith in Jesus called the church at Antioch. And a leader in the, uh, the church in Jerusalem, a guy named Barnabas, you might have heard of Barnabas before, his nickname was Son of Encouragement. Barnabas was sent from this church in Jerusalem up to Antioch to see what was going on in this new church, to see the work that was taking place there. Barnabas arrives in Antioch. He sees what God is doing through this this newly found church. The Bible says he goes to find a young man named Saul. We just saw Saul a second ago, the apostle Paul. He goes to find Saul, this newly converted Christian who is growing like a weed. It says Barnabas takes Saul, brings him back to Antioch, and Paul and Barnabas together begin to teach the believers in this newly found church. You see how Barnabas is discipling Saul, and Saul is now discipling the people in Antioch. Fun fact, more Bible trivia. I'm telling you, someday you're going to thank me for this stuff. Did you know that up until Acts chapter 11, verse 26, that Jesus' followers were not called Christians? They were called followers of the way. Now in Acts chapter 11, verse 26, you can actually read that verse in your Bible, where it says this was the first place that they referred to as Christians, little Christs. Christ-like is what that word means. Again, you'll thank me someday because I promise it'll come up. So in Acts chapter 11, they're in Antioch. They're teaching the believers. It says they remained there for one year. Fast forward to Acts chapter 13. I told you we're all over the place today. The Bible says that uh, the believers are together in Antioch. They are fasting together. They're praying. What are they doing? They're worshiping God together. The Holy Spirit tells them, all right, I got a new assignment. I need for you guys to take Paul and I need you to take Barnabas. Again, the two guys who had been teaching. I want you guys to lay hands on them, and I want you to send them off on mission to take the gospel to the Gentiles. Acts chapter 13, verse 2. So the church in Antioch, what do they do? They lay hands on Paul. They lay hands on Barnabas. They pray for them. They send them out. And this is what's known as Paul's first missionary journey. If you read through the book of Acts, you're going to see that Paul went on three separate missionary journeys. This is the very first one. On that missionary journey, here's where it all starts to make sense. They travel to a region known as Galatia. What is Galatia? 
Galatia is interesting because in some of Paul's other letters, you're going to notice that he wrote letters to specific churches. It'd be like Paul writing a letter to us and he would say, this is to the church uh, called Living Hope. Often you'll see like the book of uh, 1 and 2 Corinthians, Paul wrote the letter to the church in Corinth. That was a city. He wrote a letter to the church at Philippi. That was a city. A letter to the church in Colossae. That was a city. Galatian, though, was different. Galatia wasn't a city, it was a region. It'd be like writing to the churches of Northwest Columbus. Galatia was a region that really encompassed three areas, Lystra, Iconium, and Derby. Again, maybe you're not a history type person, but this helps Galatians make sense for us today. And it's interesting because if you were to look at Acts chapter 14, and you can turn there if you'd like to, we see how Paul's interactions start to take place on this first missionary journey here in Galatia. And what you're going to see here, and I'm going to show you some examples here in just a moment, is that the Galatians are an interesting people. They make up this region, but the Galatians were a people that were very easily swayed. It wasn't hard to convince the Galatians of something. They were a very easily swayed people. They were very easy to convince of a new idea, and then that new idea would just make its way through their ranks rather quickly. Let me show you, because this is going to matter as we approach Galatians in the coming weeks. Acts chapter 14, verse 1. Acts 14, verse 1 says that Paul and Barnabas, they arrive in Iconium, doing what they typically do. They go into the synagogue there in Iconium. They preach the gospel to the people. And as would happen with Paul, it follows suit. They preach the gospel. Many people get saved. Acts chapter 1, verse 14. You look at Acts chapter, I'm sorry, Acts 14, verse 1. You look at Acts chapter 14, verse 2. Let me show you how quickly that the Galatian people are swayed. They go from hearing the gospel and getting saved. It says in verse 2 of Acts 14 that some unbelieving Jews showed up there in Iconium. And it says these unbelieving Jews poisoned the minds of the Iconian people, of the Galatians. Ultimately, what happens is this divides the Iconian people to where they go, you know what? Actually, we're going to come up with an attempt to stone Paul and Barnabas. That's what we're going to do now. Think about that for a second. In verse 1 of chapter 14, they're like, yes, gospel, Jesus, we're in. Let's start a church. Like, this is amazing. Verse 2, yeah, let's kill him. You see the difference here? We love what you're saying. Yeah, let's kill him. The Galatians were an easily swayed people. Now, fast forward a little bit. Midway through Acts chapter 14, another example. They arrive in another region of Galatia, Lystra. They see a man who was paralyzed from birth. The Bible says uh, that what happens is he ends up getting healed. Paul is able to heal this guy. Remember, it wasn't uncommon for God to accompany the gospel with miracles in the early church. It was used as a validation of the message in which they were bringing. So they heal this guy. And it says in Acts chapter 14, verse 11, that the people here in Lystra say, you know what? Let's worship Paul and Barnabas. We think that they're gods. How else could they have healed this man who was paralyzed from birth? They must be Zeus and Hermes. So let's worship them. So they begin to attempt to worship Paul and Barnabas. Obviously, Paul's like, yeah, this seems like a good idea. No, that's not what happened. Paul says, no, no, no. And, and Paul's literally broken, the Bible says. He's so broken. He says, no, 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 you can't worship me. And Paul preaches the gospel to these people. And then what happens? Some Jews show up, unbelieving Jews. They win over the crowd. And rather, y'all, the people of Lystra, the people of Galatian go from, you know what? 
Let's worship Paul and Barnabas because they just healed this guy. To just a couple verses later, it says that they took Paul to the city gates and stoned him almost to the point of death. Do you see where they go here? They're here, and just a couple verses later, they're over here. Yet at the end of Acts chapter 14, you see that Paul and Barnabas backtrack their way through the Galatian churches. And even though the Galatians were doing this, the Bible says that Paul and Barnabas were still able to encourage the believers that were there. You see, the gospel still took root in those towns, despite the wishy-washiness of some of the Galatian people. And Paul was able to go in there. He was able to appoint elders. They were able to start new churches. And thus ends Paul's first missionary journey. And the Bible says in Acts 14, they go back to Antioch, that church that they were sent out from. And Paul is able to share with this church how the gospel was moving among the Gentiles. That's with the Galatian people. Now, let's get to our main point here. Why was this letter written? Why did Paul write this letter to the Galatians? Point number three. We're going to look at Acts chapter 15 here in just a moment. I'm going to show you how this all ties back to Galatians chapter 1. But before we do, let me make note of a couple things if you want to write these down. I think it's important. First, you're going to notice as we continue to read through Galatians these next several weeks that Paul has a very interesting tone in his writing. Paul is almost abrasive in the way that he writes to this church in Galatia. You see, it wasn't uncommon, if you read through many of Paul's other letters, it was not uncommon for Paul to be corrective in tone. Paul was often corrective to the churches that he started because he loved them and he wanted to correct their bad theology. For example, read 1 and 2 Corinthians. 1 and 2 Corinthians is basically in its entirety very corrective in nature to those churches because they had mixed up their theology, some bad influence, and Paul's like, no, 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 we're not having any of this junk. We're going to fix this now. You're going to see how that plays out over the next couple of weeks. But here in Galatians, his tone is, is abrasive, and Paul is very frustrated. We're really going to see that play out in verses 6 through 10 next week. Not only that, I found this interesting, and I didn't know this until this week. You know Galatians is the only letter that Paul wrote where he didn't tell the church he was thankful for him. Every other church that Paul wrote to, he told him he was thankful for. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 3, we studied Philippians almost the entirety of 2020. You might remember where Paul says, I, I thank my God for you in every remembrance and prayer. He did that to every church he wrote to. He told them, I'm thankful for you. I'm so thankful for you. Every time I think of you, I'm thankful for you. Yet he didn't do that to the Galatians. He has kind of a harsher tone with them. And lastly, and I think this is interesting too, Paul starts this letter on the defensive and basically carries that defensive posture through the first two chapters. Paul is very defensive when he's writing this. And notice again, if you look at verse 1, Paul says, hey, Paul, an apostle, not by men or from man, but by Jesus. We might read that and think that's just a statement of truth. Paul writes that as a statement of defense. He goes on the defense when he's writing this letter. Then he spends the first two chapters defending really his apostleship and the gospel that he brought to these people. Why do you have to do that? Because it's likely the Galatian people were questioning Paul's authority and questioning the message that he brought to them. It's likely that's what they were doing. I'm going to show you why that's true here in just a second. And so with that backdrop, let's see why Paul approached the Galatians with such a tone. So he's just returned to Antioch. He's telling the church in Antioch, like, 
Jesus is moving among all of these churches. Like, it's amazing what God is doing. Acts chapter 15, verse 1. So on the, on the coattails of, of talking about the greatness of God and how the gospel's moving among the Gentiles, look at what happens, 15 verse 1. Some men came down from Judea. Some men came down from Judea and they began to teach the brothers. Unless you're circumcised according to the custom prescribed by Moses, you can't be saved. You see, we aren't sure how much time has passed between Paul's departure from Galatia to this event in Acts chapter 15. We just know he's back in Antioch and a little bit of time has passed. And right on the coattails of Paul talking about the greatness of God and what he's done, what God's doing in the Gentile people, a group of false teachers show up known as the Judaizers. If you studied Philippians with us, you're probably familiar with these people. If you're not, let me explain who the Judaizers were. Who were they? Acts 15 verse 1 tells us they were false teachers who believed the gospel was insufficient for your salvation. The Judaizers taught that you not only had to have faith in Jesus, but you also had to adhere to the Mosaic law, the law of Moses, first five books of the Bible. And if you were a male, you had to engage in the practice of circumcision. That was a sign of covenant with God among the Jewish people. And so these folks roll here into Antioch on the coattails of what Paul is saying, and they're like, no, 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 the gospel that Paul's preaching is not true. In fact, it's salvation plus these things. It's salvation plus Jewish customs. It's salvation plus circumcision. Now, here's what makes matters even worse. Based on what we see in the entirety of the book of Galatians, it seems like the Judaizers have already been to Galatia after Paul left. You see, Paul went to Galatia preaching the gospel, and although they were easily swayed, they still started churches. Paul comes back to Antioch. The Judaizers come into Galatia afterwards, and they say, no, 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 what Paul told you is wrong, guys. You don't only need Jesus, but you need to do these Jewish things too. So they begin to poison the mind of the Galatian people. Then they come down to Antioch, and they try to do the very same thing there. Acts 15, verse 2 says that Paul and Barnabas engaged them in a serious debate and discussion. If there's one person on planet earth at the time I wouldn't want to argue with, it was going to be Paul. But these, these false teachers come to, a, uh, they come to argue with Paul. Paul finally says, you know what? We need a formal resolution for the church as a whole. we got to figure this stuff out. And again, here's a little bit more history for you. So Paul and Barnabas are sent up to Jerusalem. Jerusalem, if you want to think of what's Jerusalem, it's the mothership of all churches. Right? This was kind of like the mothership that kind of guided and directed all the churches that were started. Now let me give you just a 30,000 foot picture of what's going on here. We could go so in depth here. Paul and Barnabas leave Antioch. They arrive in Jerusalem. They're welcomed with open arms by the church leaders. Uh, Paul stands up. He says, look, let me tell you what God's doing among the Gentiles. It is amazing. Then there's some people in that church that stand up and they're like, yeah, but I mean, shouldn't you follow the Mosaic law? Like, shouldn't we be circumcised? Like, we're Jewish. Like, that's probably important. You know, they weren't like gung-ho about it like the Judaizers, but they're like, this is probably really important. We need to talk about this stuff. It's interesting to me. It sounds like a typical like church business meeting. You see Paul's coming in. He's like, God's doing all this amazing things. Somebody stands up. Yeah, but the band's too loud. You know, like that's what's going on here in Jerusalem. Paul's like, God's doing amazing things. And like one random dude in the back stands up. Yeah, but you probably should be circumcised. Paul's like, are you kidding me? Shut up. What God's doing is amazing. So then what happens is what's known as the Jerusalem Council. 
So the apostles and the elders, they all get together. They have this long discussion. Hey, do we have to do Jewish things in order to be Christians? Ultimately, they come to this conclusion where they're like, no. We don't want to place that burden upon these new Gentile believers. Why? Because salvation's found in Jesus. When Jesus came, he opened up salvation to everybody. It's no longer about being Jewish. It's about being a follower of Christ. And here in Acts chapter 15 at the end, right after the Jerusalem council, is where we believe Paul penned this letter to the Galatians. He knew the Judaizers had been there already. He got this final like, written authority from the Jerusalem council that you didn't have to be Jewish to be saved. It wasn't necessary. So Paul goes with a, a piece of paper and a pen, and he pens this letter that we're going to study for the next several weeks to this church. And Paul's a little frustrated. He's a little frustrated because he, know who, he knows who has been to Galatia. He knows what's going on there. In Galatians chapter 2, this is how we know it happened after the Jerusalem council. Paul talks about the Jerusalem council. He gives us insight a little bit into what happened at this council and some of like the fist throwing that occurred in the Jerusalem council that we don't see in the book of Acts. So let me answer a couple questions for us and we'll, we'll begin to land the plane here. Why is Paul so frustrated with the Galatians? And really his frustration, as you're going to see over the coming weeks, it really comes from a heart that's aching for this, these churches. And I think there's a couple reasons here. First off, we mentioned this a second ago. Paul knows that the Galatians were questioning his authority as an apostle. They know that they were, they're questioning his authority. It's why he starts off in chapter 1, verse 1 of Galatians, where he says, I'm the apostle to the Gentiles. The message I bring you was given to me by Jesus. Therefore, what I say has authority. Because it's pretty likely, based on what we see from the entirety of the book of Galatians, that after Paul left Galatia and these, these false teachers came in, that what they were saying was, who's Paul? Who's Paul? What kind of authority does he have to tell you about this new gospel? Why would you listen to that guy rather than listen to several thousand years of Jewish history and tradition? Why would you listen to this guy with this newfound religion to follow? Who is Paul? Paul's frustrated with him. He's like, are you guys kidding me? You're going to listen to these guys after what I came and told you and showed you and you saw? Come on. Secondly, here's where Paul's frustration stems from and his heart hurts over it. The Galatians turn from the true gospel. Notice in verse 4 of Galatians 1, Paul emphasizes here. Let me read this to you. He says, uh, starting in verse 3, Grace to you and peace from God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ. Here it is. Who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age. Paul emphasizes right out of the gate with these Galatian churches. Y'all, there's nothing you can do to get right with God. You're not saved because you did something. Salvation is the work of Jesus, and it hinges on Jesus, and it's all about Jesus. There's nothing you can do to add to it. You can't take away from it. There's nothing you can do to appease God more than Jesus already did. It's all about Jesus. And he says, oh, how quickly you've turned away from that. I gave you freedom in Christ, yet you're choosing the bondage that's found in this Judaic religion? No, run from that. Paul says, turn to Jesus. And you're going to see over and over in the book of Galatians how Paul continues to reaffirm that. The salvation's found in Jesus. Salvation's found in Jesus. It's found 
in Jesus. So that's the history. That's how we got this letter. God took a Christian hunting man, intersected his life, sent him on mission. He started churches. False gospel came in. And then Paul defended it. And that's why we have this letter. So let me answer one more question for you and then I'll pray. Why God's space? Why are we calling this series God's space? And the reason is this, is because in this letter, you're going to see two tensions that are present. The first tension that you're going to see is the legalism of the Judaizers. Paul's going to talk about this over and over in this letter. The legalism of the Judaizers, where they're trying to say, you must do these things in order to gain favor with God. How often do we see that in our culture? You have to be part of this religious group. You have to do these certain religious things. You have to develop these certain habits. And if you do that, then you will have favor with God. It's the legalism of the Judaizer. That spirit is still present in the church today. Then you see another tension present that's really found later in chapter 5 of Galatians. We'll get there several months from now. It's the freedom of the Christian. They have the legalism of the Judaizer, but the freedom of the Christian. And here's why I call this attention is because this is abused so much in church. We make bad decisions and do unchristian things under the umbrella of I'm free in Christ. You see, freedom in Christ isn't a license to sin. It's the opportunity to obey Jesus. But those are the two ditches that we can fall in. The legalism over here or the freedom over here. And what we're going to see over the next several weeks is the the spot in the middle is what we're going to call the God space. It's learning to live in such a capacity that I don't fall into the temptation of legalism. There's safety in legalism. You know that? There's safety over here because I can control it. Then I don't want to fall into the temptation of, of just this abuse of the freedom of Christ where I'm not walking with Jesus and I'm just claiming it's because I'm free in Christ. No, 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 no. We want to learn to walk in the middle and live in the middle. That's called the God space. Paul, you're going to see in chapter 5 and chapter 6, calls that walking by the Spirit. That's where we want to live and that's where we want to stay. I want to to walk with Jesus, not out of duty, but out of love. I, I want to serve people not out of duty. That's legalism. I want to serve people out of love. I want to learn from the book of Galatians what it means to walk in the God space, to walk in the Spirit. So let me remind us of that thought from the beginning. When you understand the history, what you're looking at will come alive. And I hope maybe you'll take some time over these next several weeks and revisit the book of Acts and see Paul's spirit and his heart and why he says what he says in this book. Because then you're going to fully understand why he wrote what he wrote. Let me pray for us. Jesus, thanks for your word. Father, thank you so much for the time and the few moments we've had together today. Lord, I pray it's been an encouragement to your church. God, as we say every week, I pray that it mobilizes us to mission. God, it calls us to a deeper relationship with you, Lord. May you help us understand in these coming weeks, God, what it means to walk in that God space, what it means to walk by the Spirit, to run from the temptation of legalism, to run from the temptation of abusing our freedom in Christ. But God, would you teach us what it means to walk in step with your spirit day by day? God, we love you. I pray that the songs that we sing now, God, are sweet echo through the corridors of heaven. We love you, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen.